Welcome to Street Knowledge with Chris Graham. Welcome to the podcast. I am Chris Graham, and uh, we're going to talk today about the creation by Governor Glenn Youngkin of something he's calling a, a violent crime task force. And we're going to break down uh, some potential pitfalls uh, with uh, the approach that might be uh, taken here by the governor and uh, members of his task force. And we're going to have with us our special guest is going to be Valerie Slater. Uh, she's the executive director of a group called uh, Rise for Youth. And um, Valerie, thank you so much for joining us. Chris, thanks so much for having me on the podcast. I am excited to have a conversation about this issue, and I'm ready to jump in. So, you know, when the governor announced this last week, not a lot of details. Um, in fact, it was uh, a couple of weeks ago, May 16th. Not a lot of details as to what the governor, the attorney general, and, and maybe some of the other folks in his task force were going to be looking at doing. Uh, really, I, I'm looking at the story we wrote on Augusta Free Press about this. And I remember when I was writing this, there's really just not a lot of meat here. Um, but just, you know, using the words violent crime a lot. Um we can guess, though, where this may be going and, and what some of the issues might be. Valerie, um, please weigh in on uh, maybe, you know, your your concerns from what you've seen from this so far and also just what sh you know, addressing what we can do better to address issues with crime and also just community issues in, in Virginia uh, that, that we can maybe help, uh, you know, imp improve ourselves and get get away from just talking about how law enforcement can solve all of our problems and having to find other solutions. Absolutely. So first and foremost, you're absolutely right. When we look at the um, the press release and whatever information has come out, it's very sparse. You know, we just can't tell exactly what he intends to do, other than convene a bunch of agency heads, all pretty much on the public safety side, and you know, law enforcement which is another agency under public safety. And then the two departments, Department of Corrections and Department of Juvenile Justice. So it just sounds like we're gonna gather together all of these folks responsible for incarceration, criminalization, and we are going to use these uh, agencies, these individuals as you know, the long arm of the law to you know, clean up the communities. Well, if law enforcement had been an effective response to community issues, we would have the safest communities in Virginia that you can imagine. And that's just simply not the case. You know, what's glaringly missing is the community itself. You know, when we start looking at where we find ourselves positioned in time, we're two years after, you know, ravishing of a pandemic all of the trauma that, that has imposed on families and on communities. And yet we want to bring in law enforcement and other agencies rather than including community, bringing to the table those health and human resource agencies that would be able to look at what is causing harm or, or folks to react. And rather than reacting to the way folks are behaving. We've got to get to root causes. Otherwise, we will never really truly address the issues. Yeah, if we don't address issues, for example, I mean, the, you know, we're, we're 70 years almost past Brown v. Board. We're, you know, 60 years almost past the signing of the, the Civil Rights Act of 1964. Race is obviously still a major concern uh, with policing, just the policing part of it. 
Um, but economic disparity continues to be an issue. Educational attainment um, and educational equality, um, maybe another way to put it. Um, healthcare is healthcare disparity. There's disparity. Maybe I could just I could just use that word and say disparity is is a is a huge thing. And um, you know, if if the only solution we're looking at here is is using law enforcement, that law enforcement doesn't address any of that. That's exactly right. And unfortunately, you know, when you have a law and order approach to solving issues that are endemic to particular communities. And you fail to recognize all of those things that you so eloquently laid out, right? All of those disparities that exist and they exist intentionally. They were created and then they have been perpetuated. Yet law enforcement seems to be the response, but that signals something to particular communities that says to communities, yes, we are going to hold you in this place of disparate treatment and as a response to your attempting to rebel against it, we're going to incarcerate you. We're going to incriminate you. And that is what this task force makeup continues to say to those very same communities that are experiencing the brunt of uh, the, the increase in harm. Talk to me about Rise for Youth. Talk about what, what your, that nonprofit does and, and what your organization does uh, across Virginia, um, just in general, as a starting. Thank you for that. Rise for Youth, it stands for Reinvest in Supportive Environments. We, number one, believe that children ought to have the opportunity to achieve their dreams. They ought to recognize that they have the ability to dream, and then they've also got to recognize that they can achieve those dreams. And that's what we are in the business of doing. We're in the business of transitioning what we have as a juvenile justice system here in Virginia from this punitive, um, from this punitive model to one that is restorative and restorative in such a way that incarceration is not our one size fits all model for kids who have caused harm. That we are looking at a continuum of uh, of services that we can provide to children from that kid that maybe just needs someone to mentor them and help them get on the right track and stop heading towards trouble to what supports could look like for that young person that has caused even the most egregious harm. And even for that child, that we aren't looking simply at incarceration, but we are looking at what led that child to that point. And then we are providing the resources and the supports so that child can heal, so that that family can heal, so that that harmed party can also heal. And we are restoring and building healthy communities. That's what we're all about. We're about creating healthy communities for young folks and creating the space for them to be at the forefront of that creation. I, I uh, it, the art we're based uh, Augusta Free Press is based in Waynesboro. Um, we cover the whole state uh, from a journalistic standpoint, but we're based in Waynesboro, and Waynesboro um, has uh, like a lot of you know how will I say it nicely working class communities, hard scrabble communities. We have a we have a substantial base of of kids in our local school system who are on free and reduced lunch. It's around sixty five percent. I grew up as one of those kids, so um, the one advantage I had was I'm white. Um, other than that, uh, you know, I grew up with all the other disadvantages uh, or many of the other disadvantages. And, and I know w- what kids who grow up in, um, you know, a, a poor home or a, or a low income home or a working class home, 
have, you know, you, you maybe you maybe don't have supportive parents who are thinking about your future because they're so worried about just paying the bills and, and the pressure mm-hmm. on them ends up for them. They end up splitting. My parents split when I was a kid. Um, then it's even harder for you to go through life. Uh, you know, maybe the, the surrounding environment in your, in your hometown isn't uh, all that uh, welcoming or, or inviting or inspiring. You know, if, if, if all mm-hmm. you think is your jobs are going to be in a warehouse or in a factory, maybe you're not inspired to want to do more in school and, and see what your possibilities are. Fortunately for me, I, I was able to, to overcome that, but so many of my classmates were not. And so, yeah. Uh, and, and, and I can see, I mean, so it's easy for me to see why, uh, folks struggle. Uh, kids, kids who can't dream, um, you know, have a hard time, uh, you know, getting to that next phase. And so I admire the fact that, that your group is, is doing what it's doing and so many others are doing what they're doing too. And kind of just wish that we would have, we, we could elect leaders who, you know, could kind of sympathize with us and work with us to, to, to try to create, solutions to the to the issues for people like in my small town here yes yes and see that is key what you just said that we could elect officials who sympathize and and i will take it a step further who empathize who did indeed come from those communities my community you know i was that homeless teenager i was that pregnant homeless teenager i was that pregnant homeless teenager who ended up in trouble who then had to fight my way out of a system that is very much like quicksand because once it gets you, it's really difficult to get out. And if you do get out, it's almost like a stigma is attached to your back and you can never fully escape. And thus far, I, you know, I have escaped and I am doing, you know, better in my life, but my life is now dedicated to ensuring that other children aren't trapped, aren't stuck. But, you know, we hear time and time again, young folks saying, well, I'm never going to make it out anyway. I might as well. You know, for, to hear a child say that is devastating. And to throw police at communities where that is what we hear children say is doubly devastating. That is telling those children, you're right. And the police are here to catch you up at the slightest hint of a mistake that you potentially might make. You know, I think back to some of the media attention that was around the police officer who said to the children at the middle school, wait till you turn 18 and then you're mine. Use some explicatives that I choose not to share. But, you know, that that is a mentality that law enforcement might take. You know, I did some some time researching um, just the accountability of police officers across the Commonwealth and the scores were pretty dismal. You know, and then that that accountability data isn't even accessible to the community in some localities. That's even more shocking, right? So you can act how you will without punity, you know, without uh, punity, and that's a problem. You know, but that's who we want to call to the table when we want to address the 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 results of a pandemic, all the trauma it's caused, communities that are experiencing so much lack. That's how we want to address it. Families that have literally come under attack, families, members have lost their jobs. You know, uh, um, child abuse has risen, not being in school, access to education while schools were closed, you know, so much. And on top of that, that free and reduced lunch, let's talk about the communities where almost 100% of the children qualify. And so it's almost like 
there's not a light at the end of the tunnel. And all of a sudden you start looking ahead and what you see is a police badge. I'm just trying to understand where is the empathy? Where is the, let me see it from your perspective. And if I can't see it from your perspective, let me invite you to the table so that you can be a part of creating the solution. Yeah, that's one of the things that I know you're advocating for is that this task force uh, have um, at least some representation and maybe even more than, than the governor might be willing to allow, so to speak, of, mm-hmm. of people from communities who can give that perspective. Because, you know, certainly if we, if we create something that's a task force and only have certain members on it, if we, if we have a, a law enforcement task force with only law enforcement members on it, uh, we're going to get a solution that's going to be a law enforcement solution. Mm-hmm. Is, is that really a solution to whatever problem we're trying to, to, trying to resolve? Exactly. And, you know, when you look at uh, on the press release, the governor, he's got all of the folks sitting around the table. And I mean, when I see that sheriff logo on the back of, of, of the one and you're looking and you're recognizing that these are all, oh, gosh, can we be honest? Middle, upper middle class, rich individual, unaffected individuals Mm -hmm. from agencies that are nowhere near the problem and you know those of us who are on the ground you know if if I could just lift up my uh, youth development specialist is also the football coach for one of the uh, Richmond football teams for those children who are living in the very communities we're talking about our moms of rise um, our volunteer group they have adopted that team and they provide all of the water, all of the snacks. They're there to cheer these kids on. And we, Rise for Youth, we are providing, you know, I'm also an attorney, so I, I can provide legal services to some of the young folks if they end up in trouble, but also help counsel with parents who are just trying to navigate the justice system if their children or even if they get involved. And so we are on the ground. We are right there. We are in all of the schools, the middle and high schools, talking to the children. We're launching our Youth Development Academy where kids are going to have access to other organizations doing great work and then providing six-month paid internships so that we can alleviate some of that stress, some of that pressure. Where is the governor's support for that kind of work? We aren't the only ones doing those things, but we're on the ground doing the work. And if you really want to see change, continue to support that kind of work. Bring the full weight and effort of your office behind that kind of work. Yeah, if we really want a solution here and not just political grandstanding, mm-hmm. um, that's what we need to do. I'm, I'm thinking educators, uh, especially those educators who are, are currently maybe have experience now uh, working with at-risk kids in, in mm-hmm. communities where the, you know, the, the, the free and reduced lunch, lunch rate is, is higher. Um, mm-hmm. uh, kids uh, in, in communities where maybe the school systems don't have the resources or, or the localities don't provide the school systems the resources. You know, the Northern Virginia localities, they have all the money in the world. That's great. I love mm-hmm. that. I, I wish we could all have that. We don't. And mm-hmm. um, we, so we, we have, our, our, our educators have to do more with less. And, and if, if our governor doesn't think that that has an impact uh, on, on, on outcomes that include violent crime, uh, violent crime shouldn't just be the shouldn't be the focus anyway. It should be it it, it should be a, a task force that's focused on uh, lifting up communities. And instead, here we are focused on on quote unquote violent crime and and trying to trying to look good for cameras. 
Right, right. I mean, because can we be real? A healthy community will produce healthy outcomes. Yeah, exactly. And until you start looking at the makeup of a community and what is lacking and then providing for those needs, you're going to continue to have this cycle because hurt people hurt people. Desperate people take desperate action. And you cannot police away desperation. You can't police away the hopelessness and that desire to just get ahead. And if that means, you know, sometimes for some communities and for some community members, they're taking the by any means necessary approach. Well, let's, let's take away the need for by any means necessary by providing the resources and supports necessary. You know, you, 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 you make a great point when you talk about our educators. You know, as we have been going into Richmond Public Schools, in RICO schools, we have been seeing, you know, teachers, counselors going that extra mile, doing everything they can and still recognizing their limitations and that these children are still living in communities that don't provide everything that they need to be successful. And so, you know, when they are calling in advocates such as Rise for Youth and others to say, hey, help us, support us. And we are there, but we could have the governor's office. We could have literally so many more resources. When he pours millions and millions into police budgets and into task force that are collecting those folks that are literally going to further police, further incarcerate our kids, that's problematic. Or, or community members at, at, at large. But you know, we even have support of Commonwealth Attorney offices. We look at the Richmond Commonwealth Attorney. We look at the Henrico Commonwealth Attorney. We look at other Commonwealth Attorney offices and they're saying, hey, you know what? We've got to work with you, you advocates on the ground so that we can divert young folks away from the system so that we can create the, the, the supports. Goodness, everyone is, is, is on board here. You know, it's come along with us, Governor. Come yeah. along with us. We invite you to our table. We're tired of these task force that are always convening folks who have that hammer to lower on our communities. And we're asking you instead, come to our table because at our table, we have a basket where everyone can put their resources in it and then we can begin to distribute those resources to the communities that need it. And I'll, I'll throw out a bipartisan criticism here in a sense, because uh, it's previous governors have done this too. So we talk about educational attainment and how education is not equal in Virginia. It's not. No. Uh, people, Kids who grow up in, in upper middle class uh, communities get great educations, and, and, I've, and I'm not going to bemoan them that. Um, but kids who don't, don't. And, and, I, and I will. We, I, I lived through that. You lived through that. Um, also, ed, uh, economic opportunity is not equal. Um, and when I look at the news releases that I get and, and write up uh, on my website fr quite frequently, the, you know, Northern Virginia does pretty well. Uh, big cities do pretty well. Uh, the, the governor's offices, not just the current governor, but previous governors, the last two were Democrats. They do a great job of getting more jobs in Northern Virginia uh, and in, in Hampton Roads, uh, places where there's already lots of great jobs. But what about what about the, the, the you know, the poorer neighborhoods? What about the kids who if, if you don't have if you if you as a kid can't look up one, you don't even, you already don't have good schools. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and, you you know, your, your teachers are having to, to double time and triple time just to keep up uh, and keep you on the right path. Um, and then you look out and you don't see any jobs that you could be even striving for, dreaming of. 
um, that's a double whammy. If you, 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 you already don't have access to the great education and then you don't have any reason to want to get a great education. Um, that's, that's, uh, you know, we, so I think, I think the solution here has got to involve economics as well. Absolutely. And, you know, when you talk about the education component, you know, I was looking at, and we're based out of Richmond. So I, I, a lot of the research that I have done is Richmond focused, but the parallels for Southwest Virginia are so, when you look at an urban community that is suffering lack and you look at a rural community that's suffering lack, the parallels can be astonishing. They can be incredibly astonishing. But what I found is that even though children are graduating from Richmond public schools, they are not prepared for uh, transitioning then into higher education. You know, they have less than 1% of the um, IB certifications that can potentially be attained, you know, across Virginia. So they're still coming out five, six, seven steps behind, even with the high school diploma. And so thank you very much for this piece of paper. But if it is not opening up for me, the same doors that it's opening for the kids for coming from more affluent school divisions, then what, what are we doing? I, I also am pretty tired of hearing about all of these amazing opportunities that you are providing for affluent communities. Thank you for that. When are you going to go into the communities where the struggle is real? When are you going to judge and base your governance on how you are performing for the least of these? Go to the community where poverty is the absolute highest and uh, educational attainment is the absolute lowest, where the median income is the lowest in Virginia and where hopelessness is reigning supreme. And perhaps there are uh, uh, the crime rates, they're based on the, uh, the things that folks are doing to get by, right? They're based on the things that folks are doing to cope. There's um, drug crimes because unfortunately folks are looking for an escape. There are stealing crimes because folks are trying to get what they need. And I am not excusing any behavior that is lawless. I'm not. But what I am saying is when you start basing your governance, the effectiveness of your governance on how well you are serving the folks from the communities that need the absolute most versus what you are able to pile on for the folks who already have more than enough, then I will be willing to stop and pay attention. But until then, I'm going to have to continue on my grind to make sure that every child does have an opportunity. And I'm gonna have to continue to speak out when what you're doing is just making life harder for kids, for communities that are already under more than enough pressure. And it would be great if this wasn't a partisan political issue, if we could get Republicans and Democrats, and because Democrats in Virginia, I don't think have done a good job on this either, but if we can get them all to agree, that we need to prioritize the least of us. Yeah, the, the, the folks in the in, in, in inner city Richmond, uh, inner cities of, of other big, you know, Norfolk's and, and things like that. And also, the, like you mentioned, the, the poor communities in Southwest and Western Virginia, Southside Virginia. I mean, there are, there are a lot of folks who are behind and, and none of those folks are asking for a handout. They're just looking for a hand up. Just give us a chance and, yes. you know, make it equal, as, as equal as possible. And it's, you know, I, I, what I think about this, Valerie, is it uh, what we're talking about, um, 
probably sounds hard to any politician, whereas throw, you know, throwing police at something, calling it a task force um, sounds easy, but um, nothing worth doing is supposed to be easy, I guess. That's right. That's exactly right. If it's worth doing, then take the time. Yeah. Take the time to listen to those closest to the issue, invite them to the table to help plan out the issue. Quite frankly, when you look at affluent communities, it wasn't easy to build them either, but you took the time and you continue to maintain them. And so now with that same, uh, with that same desire to shine, allow the communities that are hurting the most, that are struggling the hardest, allow them to be a part of building a future for themselves, for their children that they want to see, that they also can be proud of. And then let that be the feather in your cap, right? That I was the governor, I was the task force that was on the ground and recognizing the harms, the hurts, the lacks, the desires, and I did something about it. I did something hard and it is yielding an amazing result. If we were to take a public health approach to public safety, <laughs> Imagine that, that we would make sure that those social determinants of health, that they were thriving, on, hitting on all cylinders for the communities that are thus far. I mean, it's not as if folks are tipping up into affluence and then kind of lulling back down into poverty and then going back up. No, no, no. We have consistent poverty in consistent localities. Yes. So if we would take the time to take a public health approach and ensure that we address each of the social determinants of health and brought them into healthy uh, levels for every community, then we would see, we would see the reduction in harm. We would see crime, it would abate simply by nature of we have met the needs. Yeah, consistent poverty and consistent communities because those communities also consistently aren't invested in from an educational or economic standpoint. And if we could just somehow level the playing field as much as possible, I know we're not going to, you know, some folks are going to protect, people are going to protect what they got, right? But if we can just level it out somehow. Um, and, you know, what's interesting, Valerie, is I know, I know from the analytics on the back end of our website and the back end of our podcast that the, most of the listeners to this, to this podcast and most of the readers of our website are white upper middle class progressives. Okay, so I'm, I'm, now ta I'm talking to y'all now. Um, uh, you need to make it happen. Uh, you know, you folks are the ones who are most likely to have kids in good schools. And if, you're, if your kids, if your public schools in your area aren't great, you send them to private schools. You have the ability to do that. My parents didn't. Valerie's parents didn't. Um, and yet, how many people like Valerie, how many people like me, um, I know quite a few folks who are just as talented as me that I grew up with who, because they didn't have, um, you know, maybe they didn't take advantage of the same opportunities, they're not doing the world better, uh, and certainly to the level they could. And, and we're all missing out because they're not using their talents in the ways they could. Boy, oh boy, if we could just get more people like, like Valerie and, and maybe some more people like me and, and lots of people that we know to reach their fullest potential, the world would be a lot better place. And then like Valerie said, violent crime, we, we wouldn't even be concerned about high levels of violent crime because if we all have a chance, violent crime is going to erode. That's exactly right. And you know, if we were to really take a look at our education system, 
right now we have a system whereby, oh, however much money you make in your community and those tax dollars, they're going to support your schools. If we were to say we are going to have one tax bucket and all skills will be all schools will be supported equally from, it would not diminish not one bit the schools that are already doing and performing well, not one bit. But what it would do is it would increase the outcomes, the, 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 um, the educational attainment in those schools that are not performing as well, that are under-resourced. And so imagine that, that we would stop hoarding even our tax dollars to support just our children, right? That's a real thing. That's a very tangible first step that we could make. It would also mean that it doesn't matter where you are as a teacher, you're going to be paid the same as a teacher in another community. We could take away the disparate, uh, the, the um, pay gaps and just in, just in teachers. Yeah. Yeah. And we wouldn't have to spend hundreds of millions of dollars on new jails and new prisons and Right. Um, all, all the shiny, you know, new ways to lock people up for um, punishing them for not having opportunities. Um, right. Yeah. Wouldn't that, what, what, what a world that would be. And, and it's, it's not that hard to do, folks. It's really not that hard to do. If we just took two or three steps, you know, and, and allow those two or three steps to kind of level out and you know, begin to yield their results and then take another two or three steps, right? Because I also understand that if you drastically, radically change a thing, you may do more harm than good. The same way you would not take a submarine from the bottom of the ocean, raise it in, in you know, five minutes flat to the top and tell everyone to get out. No, you've got to equalize, your, uh, the pressure has got to equalize. Recognizing that, it will take that same sort of gradual change, but those steps have got to be significant enough that the change is real and that it is not absorbed in uh, the ills that exist, right? Mm -hmm. You can't, uh, if you, if you uh, spray the moss on a portion of your lawn and you see it going back, you don't let it sit so long until it just starts growing back. You keep spraying so that it continues to recede. That's what we've got to do. We've got to take the approach that we will address a couple of issues, we'll allow those changes to start uh, becoming normalized, those benefits to start, you know, we'll start reaping them, seeing them. We're gonna make a couple of more changes, those benefits starting to be realized. And before you know it, we have created healthy communities and that healthy community is normal. That becomes the, healthy becomes the new normal. How about that? Instead of the scrimp and scraping, I'm going to not pay this bill this month so I can pay this one that month. And, oh, shoot, maybe I will overdraft my account intentionally just because I can't let this one slide or we aren't going to have lights. Now you've got, you know, perhaps the banks coming after you because you have. Can we just stop these vicious cycles of lack and of harm and then of incriminalization? It's within our grasp. We can do it. Boy, everything you described there sounds like my childhood. I'm not my poor mom. The God rest her soul. That's all she did for how many ever years is just mm -hmm. trying to shift money around paper around everything else. Just trying to keep lights on food on the table mm -hmm. uh, and everything else. That's uh, yeah. yeah. And that's so many people and, and, and a lot of the folks listening to this podcast have never experienced that. And right. 
you know, sometimes Valerie, I'm guilty of preaching to the choir. You might get accused of that too, but we're preaching to an audience today that maybe doesn't know this. And this is, this is reality. And you wonder if you wonder why, why some people, um, you know, don't end up achieving all they could achieve in life. That's why. And, and, and we can, we can fix it. Right. That's exactly right. You know, I'm not going to go too deep into my own uh, background, but that's what I did. That's what I came from. Mm -hmm. I know what it's like to do all that I can and all that I can isn't enough. And then when I attempt to do something more, that something more landed me in trouble with the law and, and then having to recover from that and being told that I wouldn't achieve more and then fighting against it to achieve more. You know, I, I, I look at my history and I say to myself, oh, that I will change that path, that trajectory for every child that I come in contact with. Oh, that I would encourage the heart of others to hear what I share and that they too would take on that mantle. I will change that trajectory for every child with whom I come in contact. That's my purpose on this earth. And I hope that everyone listening will, will hear what I'm saying, feel the passion and know that it comes from a place of experience of my own lived experience, but now that I am watching these children and I am doing what I can and I'm inviting others to that fight. Well, uh, admire you, Valerie. It'd be easy uh, to come from your circumstances, uh, get yourself uh, onto a good footing and then to say, okay, I'm not gonna worry about anybody else now. I'm gonna look out for myself. But you're, you're saying, I'm gonna, now that I've gotten here, I'm gonna bring some other people with me. And that's admirable to say the least. So Godspeed to you on that. I really admire that. Thank you so much, Chris. And, you know, I have to say the same for you. You are creating the platform for these stories to be told. You are creating the platform for these issues to be raised and to invite others to the front line. And without that, there is enough media that will twist a story and tell a story that will criminalize communities rather than recognize the harm and hurt that needs to be addressed within them. And so, Godspeed to you as well, and please continue to keep this platform open for the for the good fight to to for others to be invited to it. Well, thank you for for that too, and and uh, for our listeners out there, uh, Valerie Slater, she's the executive director of Rise for Youth, and we'll have more information on our website about Rise for Youth. Valerie, thank you so much for your time today. Thank you so much, Chris, Chris, for having me. It has been an honor having this conversation. And I look forward to even more from you and your podcast.